0: God, we know that you are here among us, that your spirit welcomed us into this place. So God, we pray that your spirit would continue to move in our midst, to open us up, to open our ears and our eyes, our hearts and our minds, so that we can hear a word from you. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing to you, God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, did anybody make a New Year's resolution? It's that time of year, isn't it? Uh, We had some friends visiting from out of town this past week, and we were all sitting around on New Year's night, the first night of the year, talking about the year ahead, talking about things like New Year's resolutions. And Elizabeth asked me, well, did you make any resolutions? And I said, well, not really. Plus, it's too late now. As if 9 p.m. on January 1st was too late to start something new, I googled around to see what the most popular resolutions were for 2020. Number one on the list, actually keeping my New Year's resolution. (laughs) That's a good goal, I suppose. Uh, n- number two, maybe uh, just a whole bunch of them, trying something new, eating more of my favorite foods, losing weight, going to the gym, being happier, being healthier, being a better person, upgrading my technology, staying motivated. You'll notice that nowhere on that list is, a re- is there a resolution to exercise less or to eat more late-night snacks or to drink more Diet Coke, no one says in the year ahead, I'm going to spend less time with my family and be meaner to the people I meet. Nobody, you probably didn't resolve to waste more time or be less organized. You know, people make all sorts of resolutions at the new year, but they're always pointed in one direction toward making things better. Even if things of life are generally quite good, even if it's just one small thing or one particular area of our life that we want to work on, New Year's resolutions are evidence oh, in positive ways, even if things are good, that we can move in a positive direction no matter where we are now. As Christians, our goal, our resolution each year should be to become more like Christ, Each day, to do those things that will help us be more like Christ, so that at the end of the year, we will be closer to Christ than we are today. Uh, That's our goal as individuals and as a church. Uh, We're starting a new series this morning with this in mind. Over the next three weeks, we're going to do three important things. We're going to recall the promises that God has made to God's people, to us, particularly those promises that God makes in the covenant of baptism. That's what we'll talk about this morning. Next week, we're going to reclaim the core beliefs of the Christian faith. I'm talking about those fundamental foundational pieces of our faith and witness in the world and those particular things that set us apart as Methodists. Third, in week three, we'll recommit ourselves to living as God's people every single day so that At this time next year, our church and each of us in it will be more like Christ than we are today. Now, none of these are new things, but here at the beginning of a new year, we have a new opportunity to imagine a future that's even better than the present, to grow in positive ways, to move in a positive direction as disciples of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to read the story of Jesus' baptism, which will then lead us to think about our own baptism. The story comes from the Gospel according to Mark. The text is printed in your bulletin. If you want to read it, it's going to be on the screen as well. And, and we'll read slowly so that we can notice some things along the way. And, and feel free to underline or circle or take notes or whatever helps you engage with the text as we work through it. Here's Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ The Son of God. Now, the Gospel, according to Mark, is the shortest of all the Gospels. And it feels like Mark is something of a in something of a hurry while he's writing, because he skips a whole lot of details that the Gospels of Matthew and Luke include. In Mark's story, there's nothing about Jesus being at all. And Mark also leaves out all the theological explanation that we find in the gospel according to John about how Jesus is the eternal word of God, the one through whom God created everything. Instead, Mark focuses on the action, on those pieces that move the story along. And so in chapter 1, verse 1, he jumps right in to the first public event of Jesus' ministry career. And as he does so, he's clear about one thing— Jesus is the Christ. That means anointed one, the Savior. Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. Verse 2, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. We're going to find out that it's actually two prophets that Mark quotes. It's Malachi and Isaiah. But the point is, the thing that God is doing in and through Jesus is the thing that God promised to do long, long ago. And the quotation from the Old Testament prophets is this, verse, the, the next part of verse 2. See, I'm sending you my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. The message that God had given the people for generations is that God would send a Savior. The word they used was Messiah. God would send a Messiah to save the people. And the way the people would know the Messiah was coming is that God would send a messenger, a prophet who would announce that the Messiah had arrived. Verse 4, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John is that promised messenger. His arrival is the signal that the Messiah is here. And you get a much clearer sense of that if you collapse that Old Testament quotation in verse 3 and read verses 2 right into verse 4. It sounds like this. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness. And he had a very particular message. He's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5, and people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. And were being baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. So here's the situation. John was way outside the city, out in the wilderness, out past Katy somewhere. <laughs> and going out to him, as well as everybody from the small country towns, coming to him to be baptized in the Jordan River. Now he was doing something coming to him confessing their sins, which meant they were saying aloud all those ways that they had broken Jewish laws, all those ways that they had become separated from God, and John was washing them with water. It was a ritual action symbolizing them being washed clean of sin. So every figurative mark that sin had left on them was symbolically washed away. Every figurative piece of debris that had come between them and God was symbolically washed away. And now, there was a new beginning, a new opportunity to live as God wanted them to live, a new opportunity to be in right relationship with God. Essentially, all the people who were coming to John were saying, we haven't been faithful but we want to be faithful. We have been far from God, but we want to be close to God. We've been living like this, but we want to live with God. Let's keep going. Verse 6, Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. John is doing exactly what Malachi and Isaiah said he would do in their Old Testament prophecies. He's announcing the Messiah's arrival. One who's more powerful than me is coming after me. Verse 8, I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John has washed away their sin but jesus will do something new with the holy spirit. so whatever powerful, meaningful, life-changing experience the people are having with john at the jordan river, their experience with the messiah will be deeper and more powerful because it won't be symbolic with water, it will be actual with god's holy spirit. the holy spirit that will dwell within inside of them, dwell within them. john announces that the messiah is coming. And it happens fast in the very next verse. Verse 9, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Here he is, Messiah, Jesus. Mark already told us that in verse 1, but, but wait a minute. Watch what comes next. And was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, this is a surprise. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? Why does the sinless one need to be washed of his sin? Well, the short answer is that he doesn't. But just like Matthew and Luke tell us stories of Jesus' birth to illustrate that Jesus really did put himself in our human shoes, Mark tells us the story of Jesus lining up at the Jordan River to illustrate that Jesus really does put himself with us, not apart from us, not above us. He puts himself right alongside of us, we whose lives are full of sin and separation from God. Verse 10, and just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. Mark told us in verse 1 that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. Here is the divine confirmation heard straight from God, made visible in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Verse 12, and the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. It's an odd way to end the story of Jesus' baptism, but it's the perfect way to begin thinking about our own baptism. Because even for Jesus, baptism was just the beginning. For us, baptism is the beginning of our Christian life. And just like Jesus, our lives as baptized people will have wilderness times, and there will be temptations to misuse the power and the lives that God has given us. There may even be wild beasts to contend with, but notice how it ends. The angels waited on him, the divine presence. God is with us no matter where we go or what we encounter in life. So that's the story of Jesus' baptism. And the main thing that the story does in Mark's gospel is make sure that we know who Jesus is. Mark tells us in verse 1, Jesus, the prophets of old, said he would, and he announces that the Messiah had arrived just like the prophets had said he would. God's voice from heaven and the Holy Spirit like a dove confirm it all. This is my son, the beloved. There's no mistaking it. The story of Jesus' baptism makes clear who Jesus is. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, the promised Savior. The story of your baptism serves the same purpose, to make clear who you are. Now, as a pastor, I've gotten to be part of a lot of baptism stories. Some of them were on Easter Sunday morning in a a pool outside the church, dunking confirmands under the water. Some baptisms had babies screaming hysterically because mom was right there and some guy in a robe was keeping him from mom. Some, uh, I think that my favorite baptism story was of a dad and his three little daughters being baptized on the same Sunday morning, one right after the other. They were kneeling at the rail, and we baptized dad, and then we baptized the oldest daughter. She was seven, I think, and then we baptized her five-year-old sister, and the whole time, the three-year-old, the youngest, was watching and her eyes growing wider and wider, getting more and more nervous as the water got closer and closer to her. And she was scared, so mom held her. And as I approached her, she screamed at me, You get away from me! <laughs> and we baptized her. And as we did, she tried desperately to get the water off of her head. And I think it was less traumatic than it sounds, because I got a note from her parents a few years later that they were looking at pictures from that day, and and she pointed at my picture, and she said, that's the angel man who put water on my head. (laughs) Now, every baptism story is a little bit different, but they're also all the same, because they all make clear who the person is, a baptized, beloved child of God. And in the United Methodist Church, here's what we say every time we baptize someone. We say, brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation, and we are given new birth through water and that God makes to us in baptism. We are initiated into Christ's holy church. When you were baptized, God promised to make you part of the church, not just a specific local church like Bel Air, but the global communion of believers that transcends time and space and any boundary we've created, the global communion of believers that is united forever in Christ. In other words, when you were baptized, God promised that you have a place in God's family forever. Forever. So, even if a person or group of people make you feel unwelcome, God always welcomes you. You belong in God's family. That's God's promise. Second, we are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. The story told in Scripture is one of God's work to save the world and to redeem all of creation. When you're baptized, you become part of that story in a real and personal way. And notice it does not say God's mighty acts of destruction. No, it's God's mighty acts of salvation. God simply is not interested in destroying you. People feel like that sometimes, like they deserve something terrible or that someone else deserves something terrible. Like it's only a matter of time until all the bad things I've done have caught up with me. God's promise is to save you from all those things that work against God's purposes in the world. Whether they're things you've done or things someone has done to you, God promises to save. And the third promise, we are given new birth through water and the Spirit. It's a promise of a fresh start. When when a child is born, they've done nothing that others can hold against them. When a child is born, there's a, a clean slate in their past. Now, I was baptized as a baby, and I've done things since then that people may want to hold against me. We all make mistakes. We do things we shouldn't. We fall short of what we hope to be. But the promise that God makes, the new birth that God offers can be continually received. God's promise is that we can always start fresh with God. Like the Israelites who came to John in the wilderness, we can always come to God and say, I haven't been faithful, but I want to be. I've hidden myself from you, but I want God will say, welcome my child. So this morning, I invite you to recall the promises that God made to you when you were baptized, whenever and wherever that was, you belong in God's family. God is saving you and all of us from everything that's against God's purposes, and you can always start fresh with God. It's God's gift offered to us without price. Let's pray. Eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we know that you are alive and active in the world. We know that you come to each of us desiring to dwell inside of us by the power of your Holy Spirit. So God, on this first Sunday of a new year, we offer ourselves to you and pray, God, that you would help us to open ourselves to your work in our lives, that we might remember who we are, beloved children of God, And that we might live each day as people with a story to tell, a story of you working to redeem the world, to make space for all your children, to save us from everything that works against you in this world. We pray it in Jesus' name.